Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. This is our 16th episode on Hu Shen, and actually it's the 7th episode of Context for Hu Shen Films. Today we're going to be looking at Dangerous Youth, a film by Sun Chi from 1969 and it's part of a series of films that are being made available to us by the Taiwan Film and Audiovisual Institute in quite wonderful copies. And actually, I'm, I'm liking each of these better. What did you think, Richard? Yeah, I thought this, this one was, was the best of the three Sinji films so far. I mean, he's clearly a very eclectic director because all, all three films have been very different but yeah the, this one i thought was very very interesting and it felt, felt like a more um felt like a bit like the transition from ho shao shen's commercial films to his independent films um, you know the, the the difference between green green grass and boys from feng kui is, is yes i can see that though you know the reality to me is that it has almost well has very little in common uh stylistically and formally with the cinema of Hu Shen, And actually what I loved about it was it felt almost like, I don't know, a, a, a mid-60s Italian noir or something, right? You know, yeah, with the motorcycle yeah. and the nightlife. And, you know, it, it's obviously greatly indebted to kind of Carnaby Street, London, and there's all those Dollybird dresses and the music, right? There's the Rolling Stones, Can't Get No Satisfaction is on it you know, and, and the shoes and so on. So again, I'm really fascinated by these films kind of like, yeah, like on the cusp of modernity. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was very, it was very similar to one of those, you know, uh, 60s British or American films, you know, something like Beat Girl or whatever, where, you know, a, a girl from a good background is lured to a life of vice yes. and all this kind of thing, you know. Uh, and this is exactly, I mean, I, I suppose what I loved about this, well, there are many things. I think um, aesthetically, it's the most visually sophisticated of the films that we've seen yet, right? It's kind of subtle because, you know, I only really noticed it when I was going through the film to make clips, yeah? So, but you notice, like, you know, the use of focus, like sometimes the foreground is out of focus and, yeah, and the attention is on the background, the stairway shots, the nightlife shots, all, I mean, there's about three different series or four of scenes on the motorcycle. Yeah, and just the filming of those and the energy and yeah, it's really, I think, I wouldn't say dazzling, but it's very skilled. It's incredibly skilled, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, one, an article I found about it mentioned that, the, and, and I didn't notice this, but claimed that there's a, a 10 minute continuous shot of one of, one of the motorbike sequences. I'm I, not sure if it is that long. But I have so. so far gone through one hour of the film uh, in my, you know, carefully in my clip selection mode. I haven't gotten to the last half hour yet, but it's certainly not in the first hour, right? You know, there, there are lots of cuts. Yeah, so there are quite long scenes of about three minutes each of the motorcycle. Yeah, you know, including that dazzling opening scene that really sets the mood and the tone and the milieu for the film yeah yeah it's wonderful yeah uh yeah this kind of really long sequence of just riding the motorbike through the through through taiwan and then yeah it's, it's just 
Yeah. It's just great. I mean, I think what those scenes have in common, which, um, you know, it made me think of Canadian 1960s, 70s cinema, which is very much about um, revindicating the local and the national of, of saying, you know, we are a country, we are not the United States, we matter and we have our own thing. And um, you see this so much in almost all of the films that we've seen. You have these scenes of the landscape, the mountains, the sea, the roads from the country to the city, yeah, that kind of indicate a very particular place. I mean, I feel like I could, I could recognize a Taiwanese landscape now if you showed me a shot, mm. you know, just from having yeah, seen yeah. like those mountains and valleys yeah, in the film. You know, so I, I think it's like whenever you see a combination of those mountains, you know, and then a scene nearby, you think, yeah, Taiwan. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, yeah. so I think the film is uh, very much about, you know, the uh, paying attention to the local. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in terms of what we've learned about Sun Chi. Yeah. That, you know, this was uh, in the local language, you know, that it was made for local people that in a way the, the uh, Taiwan went through two kinds of colonialism, you know, the first in the 20th century, the first by Japan, and the second, you know, by the people who lost the civil war in mainland China, yeah, who were a very small percentage of the population, yeah, but who ruled everything in Taipei, and who made it a project of creating a, a film industry in Mandarin as opposed to the local language, which is opposed or the contrary to this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did, did you read that article I sent you, the, the interview with him from 2000? Because that was very interesting on this subject. Yes, I did. Um, that he was essentially kind of hiding, well, actually not very well hiding, but hiding hiding subversive messages in his early films, both kind of a, like anti-Japanese messages and anti-Kuomintang messages. Um, so uh, in one of his plays, he he remembers one line that made the entire audience burst into laughter, a monk in the play says, I killed a dog to make some dumplings and you just came in so you, we can have the dumplings together. And the dog stood for the Japanese military. And the word just sounds like pig and pig refers to the KMT. So he clearly had, was, had, a, had, a, had a viewpoint and was expressing that viewpoint through these very commercial films, yeah. which is interesting. I mean, what I got out of that article, several things, but one, he has this quote where he says, I like to make stories about working class people struggling in difficult situations to express the voice of common people. Their spirit is the same as that of people making Taiwanese film. We were struggling in an equally difficult environment. He explained that in those days it took an average of seven days to make a two-hour film with a budget of around 300,000 Taiwanese dollars. It was more like manual labor, so I guess we <laughs> share the same feelings as those so-called second-class citizens. I didn't quite get this from his films, I must say, right? You know, the first one that we saw uh, was like uh, a gothic set in a very rich mansion. I wonder if that quote he's talking about a slightly earlier stage of his career because the, the subsequent sentence he's talking about filming techniques in the 1950s. Yes. So I wonder whether actually that, that comment about manual labour is more about how they were having to make films with these essentially with newsreel cameras that could only do 20-second shots yeah. um, in the 1950s. So I, I, I wonder if that's what he means, or it's a filmmaker just talking about how hard it is being a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> There's also another interesting quote there where film scholar Liao Ching Feng 
described uh, Shin's work as having a quality of rendering similar to the classic Hollywood style, which, you know, I think is not far off, yeah, uh, and which, again, is enormously di uh, distant from what we've seen of uh, Hu Xiaoshen cinema, you know, which you would not characterize as being in the classic uh, Hollywood style. G can you describe the plot a little bit? The film is about dangerous youths. <laughs> there is a... <laughs> um, so the film opens as a young man and woman on a, on a motorbike ride. They wind up at a cafe in the middle of nowhere. This couple are breaking up because the, the woman is choosing to... Uh, marry for for money rather than marry the, rather than have a relationship with the, with this poor guy with the motorbike. He that so he so he meets the girl in the cafe. Meanwhile, his boss has a daughter, and the daughter is essentially um, procuring young women for a life of vice in nightclubs, and is is looking for you know is basically giving a finder's fee for. Um, men who can bring her young girls to work in the nightclubs so basically the the young guy brings the you know, lures the cafe girl to get the job in the nightclub she's then you know trying there's an old rich guy who's trying to get her to be her his kind of kept woman um there's then you know various various relationships between the the various characters i mean the, the sexual politics are slightly uncomfortable and i guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that um and, and yeah it's, it's so so essentially it's this woman struggling with you know is she going to go with a life of vice is she going to end up with the young man is he going to end up with the rich woman or the or the or the poor woman and, yeah. uh, it's seedier than that in many ways it's a real it's a real noir except that it's got a female protagonist it, it's not the man's story even though at the beginning you might think it is, and that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because she, the the woman who turns out to be the lead character, is really is introduced almost in an incidental way. I mean, she. So you get this whole opening sequence of the of what you assume is the two main characters riding a motorbike through the countryside, and then this the the, the lead woman is just the woman who's serving them Coca Cola in the cafe. That's right. And you, you I, I assumed at that point you weren't going to see her again, yeah. you know, uh, but she's actually the main character. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, what you have is, I think, quite an extraordinary story because it really is about a pimp, about, well, about the victim of a pimp who ends up falling in love with him, right? So there's real Stockholm Syndrome in this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's one, I mean, that's one thing that is quite uncomfortable about this film. Yeah, so, um, and actually it's interesting because the woman you see him with at the beginning is clearly the woman he's pimping at that time. Right, you know, because they meet afterwards in the nightclub, right? So, so basically, it's kind of a you know what seems an unattractive story, except it's very alluring because it's got a really interesting view on sexuality. So, the mother who tries to keep this daughter, the protagonist, on the straight and narrow, is herself, you know, a single woman working, making a living, working a bar well, a bar, a, a, a snack stand, yeah, that sells drinks uh, by the roadside, uh, you know, who's sleeping with, with younger men, you know, and who is herself kind of providing money for them or giving them money. I wouldn't say she's buying them, but, like, she's stopping up their wages, <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> essentially all of the, well, yeah, all of the young people in the film of both genders 
are basically making money by by selling their youth to or selling other people's youth yes. to 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 richer or older people that's right I mean, it's yeah. quite a view of society, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the the other thing, and the, th the thing that, that really is quite uncomfortable is that the the so the the young guy, the pimp. I mean, basically, there's I think three occasions where he pretty much rapes or attempts to rape yes. uh, one or other woman character, and also and and you know, in both cases, they then end up in a relationship with him, and it, it's, it's kind of, it's quite uncomfortable. It is, um, though. I mean, I guess, I suppose I didn't find it uncomfortable. Uh, I thought it was kind of realistic in a way. It uh, shows uh, the uh, sexual power and dynamics of the period. Uh, it certainly doesn't, um, what's the word, support it or, uh, you know, No, no, I think that's right. You, yeah, it's critical of the character. And I, and I think that's the key point that you, you're not... He's not supposed to. You, he's introduced as if he's an attractive character, but he, but he isn't, yeah. and, and he's not not portrayed that way in the film. Yeah, he's shallow. Although he still, although he ends up with a woman at the end, but uh, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, he's shallow and weak, and really can't do anything that isn't through the use of women or through selling himself, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, kind of what you get is a very corrupt world, you know, because even the rich woman. She's basically become a procurist so she can advance her father's business interests mm. right, through providing mm. his colleagues who the father is stealing from with youthful distractions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's also, I mean, there's also details about the, you know, the older men and how pathetic they are as well. So there's the, you know, there's the, there's the, the, old, the older man, we say, I'm saying older man, he's probably the same age we are, right? But he's, he's, try <laughs> but he's, he's trying to, um, you know, have a relationship with this cafe girl and essentially having to pay her. There's, there's that conversation between two of the older businessmen about oh, how you, how are you keeping it up these days? Oh, well, I had a, bottle of wine with a tiger's penis in it. If, you, if you've got any more of that, can you get me one? And it, it's, you know, all these people. So, so essentially you've got the young people trying to sell their youth and the, and the old people trying to reclaim their youth. Yes. Regain it. That's a lovely way of putting it, except that um, one of the things that I found endearing about the film is that the guy who takes her on as his mistress is completely impotent. You know, so all yes. he can do is yeah. hug her. <laughs> yeah. they don't have, the film goes out of its way to tell you they don't have sex, right? And yeah, it's important yeah. that they don't have sex, you know, because the subsequent um, uh, dilemma of getting pregnant, of the uh, partner trying to force an abortion on her, which is really like, they're quite harrowing scenes in a way, yeah? Mm, and you could yeah. tell how kind of, you know, they might have spoken to that generation of people. Uh, I, I was reading an interesting uh, article. I didn't manage to read the whole thing, but again, a King's College one, which I will add to our post, uh, which talks about, you know, how this film is so uh, important and in some ways transgressive because of the censorship norms that were in place in that period, right? But that, and this really reminded me of, of Spain, you know, in the Franco years, that, you know, because in really authoritarian uh, regimes, the thing is that the rules are not applied systematically, you know, like in the UK now, they apply to some and not to others, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, you sometimes have uh, extreme things that get through, 
And then someone at the ministry, you know, hates you or takes a dislike to you. And all of a sudden you can't do anything. You know, you can show so, yeah, someone yeah. fully dressed, the, you know. Yeah, there's two interesting things there. There's one of, one of the earlier films, and I can't, I can't remember which one it was. There were various elements that the makers thought might be censored. But actually what, what this, the one scene that was problematic for the government wasn't anything sexual or violent it was a scene where they were rude about a postman (laughs) (laughs) postman being a postman is a responsible government occupation and you you can't be rude about postman the other thing about this film is about dangerous youth there was a caption at the beginning so about the restoration and saying that there are some uh there are some bits where 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 the, the 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 print was damaged or and there was some bits where dialogue was missing those seem to me to be bits that have been censored oh. uh, because the points, the two points where they where there's missing dialogue, um, one is where the the first girlfriend is berating the second yes. girlfriend in the nightclub and she's presumably saying something quite strong to her. Another scene is between the young man and the, and the rich woman and it's just after uh, one of the assaults and so and, and she's yelling something at him and you can't you can't hear it. So I and similarly there's a the bit with the most print damage is a, a bit of a graphic scene. I can't quite remember what happens. So I did wonder whether those are, you know, whether the existing print they were restoring from was, was a censored print and, you know, the only copies of those bits had, had the dialogue missing or, or were damaged. It was quite quite coincidence otherwise. Yes. I thought it was very interesting because it's such a 60s film, right? So on the one hand, I, I, I read that it was compared... Uh, to Oshima's uh, Cruel Story of Youth, which I have never seen. Have you? I haven't. It was I mean, the, annoyingly it was on Mubi until about last week. Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't get around to watching it. Uh, but yeah, but I did. I did. See, I sort of saw the beginning of it and then didn't have time. And it and it did start. It essentially starts off with um, with, with with a young couple, a young man and woman, and and then he he kind of. Uh, starts hitting her and throws her into the river and and it, it, so yeah you think yeah this is a similar similar vibe in that central relationship. Uh, to me, it also reminded me of those Roger Corman biker films of the mid sixties with Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra and, and things like that, like yeah, uh, yeah. Wild Angels or something like that. Uh, so uh, it has a real energy. I love the use of the music. Again, it's almost like you know Anglo American pop music. Uh, rock of the period, but then a lot of it transmuted into these saxophone instrumentals that are very sexy, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it'd, be, it'd be great to know where they, they were from, but I, I guess these are, you know, it could well be one of those, you know, easy listening soundtrack albums where it's, you know, music for your dinner party and, it, and it's, you know, cover versions of well-known pop songs of the time. Yeah, yeah. I was really struck by a version of You Sent Me, yeah. Uh, I think it's the Everly Brothers, uh, you know, and it was it was just a saxophone, and it was really uh, lovely, really. What else caught your eye, Richard? Yeah, as you say, it was visually great. It, it was it, it reminded it reminded me of of um, French New Wave as well, sort of something like Breathless, um, again with this kind of amoral male lead. Um, that was interesting, as you say, it was very very sixties. It, it was. Um, the the other th- one thing that's interesting we talked about the music but there are no songs in this yes. so un- unlike the what what has become you know clearly what what you view as what a mainstream Taiwanese film of that period is like where you whether it's a drama or whatever or a comedy it will break for a musical montage there, there was none of that this time yes. at all. it reminded me a lot also of nineteen uh, thirties pre code films American films mm. 
yeah, know, yeah. because, uh, well, of the subject matter, right? Like, it's really risque. <laughs> uh, also, because of what you say, I wouldn't say amorality, but a different view of morality in which, you know, sex is not the worst thing you can do, right? Like, you know, and people sometimes have to sell their bodies to make a living, and that's okay. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, it has a different attitude, yeah, to all of those things, which I liked very much. And also, the last thing that it reminded me of pre-code films is the speed. Yeah, things happen fast. This is a film that moves fast, right? <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah, and not just because there's that uh, uh, bike, you know, riding the motorbike, kind of speeding through the countryside. Things happen quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. There's some inter interesting about the morality that's just occurred to me. There's that sequence where, where he first. Um, sells her to the nightclub and then thinks he thinks she's going to stay in a hotel and she she but she then turns up at his at his flat always always room essentially to to stay the night and and he's like oh no you can't you you can't possibly sleep we can't possibly sleep in the same room you know you're a man and i'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a man and you're a woman you've literally just sold her as a prostitute i know <laughs> and, now you, and now you say oh no the, we can't possibly sleep in the same room it's 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 really really interesting which raises the question of what he thinks he's doing or you know it could raise interesting speculations he doesn't want to sleep with her because a virgin you know uh, brings in more money or yeah but it's certainly kind of i mean it, what i'm saying is that it sounds like it's not logical but actually there could be a logic behind it that we're just yeah you know, not yeah quite placing. yeah uh, the the other thing that's interesting about that whole sequence a bit earlier is the whole thing about the various dresses that that woman wears so so it kicks off she goes to uh so she's working in the cafe and i think she steals some money from her mother and goes off and buys herself a new dress this kind of fashionable 60s dress and her mother's like that's disgraceful get out and at which point she gets picked up by the boy on the motorbike and then he says oh, I've, got, I've got to go out why are you going out well, i've got to buy you a decent dress to go to the nightclub so 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 he thinks that dress isn't good enough he goes out and buys another dress and so she wears the second dress and then they arrive at the nightclub and the rich woman says i'll go upstairs and get changed so clearly there's a there's a, there's a third dress right they, so they all each of them has this view of what a glamorous dress looks yes. like and it kind of it they all get it wrong yes. it's quite interesting yes i like that though it's also a good opportunity to show off the dresses because i do think that this film is as much about the clothes the shoes the music the bike right like you know those are all kind of glamorous aspirational modern things in the film yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think it you know it's designed to appeal to young people and that they would go and they would see the fashions on screen i was very struck when they go into the house of uh, the older impotent man you know who be who she becomes mistress to you know and they're going wow 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 you know they're going up the stairs wow you know and it looks like a council <laughs> flat <laughs> in the uk right you know, yeah. so I think that's also important to keep in mind, yeah, that, you know, for an audience, this would be really aspirational, really modern. And the film itself tells you why, because, you know, he's living in a room with no bathroom and communal sinks, right? Like, you know, when she goes to freshen up, all they have yeah. is basins, like uh, lots of them. So obviously they're used by an yeah. army of people simultaneously, but it's just yeah, a basin, yeah. right? So, and then the, their idea of, you know, rich and yeah, modern is like a council flat. So, 
Yeah, I thought that was like kind of very interesting sociologically, right? Kind of, uh, you know, very telling. Um, I think the other thing that uh, is very interesting to me about these films, uh, about Sin Chi films, but actually it was also true of the previous director, is that the camera is often fixating on the male body. There's certainly, I mean, there's a lengthy sequence where the, the male lead is shirtless in the bedroom scene and, and the, the woman always remains fully clothed. Yes, but also the close-ups and the lighting, yeah. And I think uh, this was also very true of the previous director, you know, kind of that bathtub scene, yeah, kind of that we saw. I mean, it's a really, I mean, I don't know if maybe I'm kind of culturally misreading it. It could just be that, you know, male bodies were thought not to matter and therefore you could show them in these ways, right? Whereas you have to be more cir circumscribed with female bodies. But there's certainly a, a gender difference in the way that they're filmed, yeah? Uh, which, you know, would be interesting to, to speculate some more and think about some more. I, I wonder what you thought about the ending because the, it felt to me, so the, the ending, the, the, the young man and woman are reconciled. And then you get this very odd scene where the, the, the rich woman is in, is in her bedroom on the phone and you only see her from the back. And you, you, what she's saying on the phone is basically, oh, I've just realized that they're such a lovely couple. They're, they're totally in love. I've, I've been so wrong. I'm going to give them lots of money. And it's quite, it, that felt to me to not really fit. And the fact it was filmed from the back, it, it just felt really odd, really tacked I on. think that must have been tacked on for the censors because not only did she say yeah. that, but she denounces her father. Yeah, it's mm, like also mm. she turns her father in. Right, like yeah, the, the yeah. phone is to the police or the ministry or something like that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I felt to me that the end. So you, you get this great, really well staged scene where the, the you know, the young couple are in the, are embracing, and then she, the, the rich woman, arrives in her open top sports car, looks at them over the, you know, from, from a distance, and it struck me that was probably and that was probably the ending, and then you suddenly get this kind of tacked on censor-approved ending, I guess. I suppose, I mean, I, well, I agree with you. But I think for me, I suppose what is alluring about this film and interesting is what I see almost as the universality of it, right? Like, you know, I mean, if you read about gay New York or something, you read about, like, young boys coming from all over America, you know, landing at Penn Station or, you know... Uh, and immediately being picked up by people who are looking just for that kind of innocent young person and grooming them into prostitution, really, right? And, of course, you know, that happens with women all the time. You know, I saw a documentary here about, uh, uh, a, you know, a very similar thing happening with Eastern women then being brought into the UK. So it's a, it's a story as old as time, yeah? Innocent young people kind of, you know... Uh, being uh, uh, groomed first by seduction and then by violence, yeah, in and then by drugs, you know, into a life of prostitution and then the, you know discarded as soon as that uh, the allure wears off. So what you see here, you know, from the beginning until two thirds of the film is really that process, right? You know, yeah, and then obviously yeah. the film has to you know finagle a happy ending somehow. Right. Which yeah. It doesn't quite yeah. manage. Yeah. It kind of remains relatively true. Yeah. 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 
It, it's interesting you mentioned drugs because thinking about it, that's one element that is entirely missing from this film. I think, whereas it that you know that would be central to the, if this kind of film, you know, like you, know, you talk about the Roger Corman films or something like Beat Girl or whatever, um, there, there there would be a drug element to what's going on, and particularly in that mid sixties, late sixties milieu, and that that's not mentioned at all. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Maybe you know that wasn't an issue uh, there at that time, or maybe it was just forbidden to show any. You know, like I'm, I think you'd find in Spain that until the seventies, you don't. I mean, I can't think of any representation of drug taking at all, you know. So um, there could be various reasons for that. Um, but I must say, you know, this has been my favorite of all of these films that we've seen so far. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We are thinking a lot about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Bye-bye.